The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet is the... Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen Grandpichet. Dr. Grandpichet. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning. I was so entranced by that opening that I was uh, in a daze from it. But good morning. <laughs> Good, Good morning. morning. Good morning. And welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen on the Autism Network. I'm Shannon Penrod. And as you can see, Dr. Doreen Grampiche is here with us. She's going to be answering your questions in real time. We are live right now. It is 10 o'clock Pacific time and it is October 27th, 2021. We were all just talking about Halloween and prepping for Halloween. So we're all uh, very excited about all that. I want you to look at the top of the screen here that Traven is our wonderful producer has put together. Those are just some of the ways that you might be watching us. We are live right now on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, and about a dozen other sites, including the, some of the ones that are listed up there above. But we're also available as a free podcast. You can download for free this podcast and other Autism Live podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. So please... Uh, please do that. Please share this information. You know, we are the number one rated autism podcast because you guys share. We don't we don't spend gobs on uh, marketing. We don't even spend little gobs on marketing. We count on you guys to be the grassroots and tell people um, that can come in the form of liking us on Facebook. It can come in the form of subscribing. It can come in the form of sharing, putting the name of someone you think would benefit from this in the Facebook chat. Um, you know, following, subscribing and following us on YouTube, giving us a review on iTunes, all of those things helps us to get to more people. So well, we forget TikTok, Shannon. Oh, well, that's a whole other talk that uh, <laughs> Dr. Dorian Graham, things that I never thought I would say, uh, like, like Andy McDowell should get an Emmy. Never thought I would say that. I'm saying that now, if you haven't watched Made, Andy McDowell should get an Emmy. Um, but also things I thought I would never be saying, watch Ask Dr. Doreen on TikTok. Dr. Doreen Grampiche is on TikTok. Not only uh, is she there on TikTok, but she's answering questions on TikTok. So mm -hmm. you can write into her on TikTok and she might answer your question on TikTok, which is just crazy good. Uh, are you enjoying being on TikTok, Dr. Grampiche? Well, it's great. It's I, I really, you know, as you know, Shannon, like I truly enjoy being able to help families out and it's so easy for us to just guide and, and you know help them find direction and tiktok i would have never thought that it's the right place for this but uh apparently it is and a lot of people kind of write in and and it's just starting now there's a lot of people viewing the videos that i've so far posted but uh, it's a more gradual process for people to follow. So hopefully our audience here will just go on there. It's ask Dr. Doreen, ask Dr. Doreen and just follow because then you'll get to see um, me actually live answering a lot of uh, uh, questions that are coming in. Which is crazy fun. I, I love technology when it works, right? And when I can figure out how to make it work and what a wonderful way to have technology work to answer your questions in real time. Crazy good. We're also going to be doing that here during this hour. You can be writing in on any one of those platforms where we're live right now. I see that Honey Drip has already written in. I love, I, I love, I don't know whether that's a, a, a real name or a handle, but either way, I love it. Honey Drip, fabulous. Um, and then, and then I got a question that came in last week that we didn't get to, but Honey Drip says, hi, I have a question. I got to give the disclaimer first. I forgot to get, I got ahead of myself. Uh, <laughs> so, so excited. Twitter paid it. Um, in this format, there is no one, even an expert of the caliber of Dr. Grampichet, who can give individual specific advice. It would be unfair to that individual, right? Because she hasn't had eyes on the situation and she can't possibly know all the things that she would need to know for individual specific advice. Having said that though, write in your questions like Honey Drip right now and send them over to us and you will get to benefit from all of Dr. Grampichet's more than... I, 40, 40, 40, 
school year. Wait, it's 21 now. Yeah, 43, almost 43 years. 43 years of experience working with individuals on the spectrum from very young babies up through senior citizens. She's got an amazing mind. And I love that, you know, she sees all individuals on the spectrum, not on the spectrum as whole beings that have a whole life and a right to all the things that that entails. So you can be writing in your question, but don't don't get tied to individual specific information. What she's going to do is give you the benefit of her knowledge so you can go back to the experts that have eyes on the situation and get more done. So having said that, Honey Drip says, hi, I have a question. My son is improving so much and I'm following uh, the skills program. It's very, very helpful. Thank you so much. I can't thank you enough. I don't see the question though, honey. I was waiting for the question. Maybe but thank you. I loved hearing that skills is helping you. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I'm going to go to the other question while Honey writes uh, writes in more of what what they want to know. Uh, I don't want to assume that Honey is female because Honey Honey could be male. So the question that we had last week, and this is a long one, so bear with me. I'm 25, and I've been fired from about 85% of my jobs, or I'm not rehirable. I've made money every year since 16, but through a lot of different jobs, sometimes only weeks or months at a time. They became an EMT at 23, and I've gone through a few jobs since then. I also have PTSD, anxiety, ADHD, sleep issues, likely Marfans or EDS as well, waiting on test results. Before I got fired from my last job, I told them about my issues and how it affected my performance and, and, and how my boss had really made it difficult for me to succeed. And even though I said that I, I thought I had autism, the HR lady said, my son has autism. And they go on to say, I don't really know what she meant by that. I often sometimes miss social cues. They do go on to say that a week after they lost this job, they did get a diagnosis of autism. They feel that they ask questions for clarity and that then people hate them. They go on to say that I have a higher than average IQ, but don't really seem to do much with it. Uh, they want to know about getting disability, um, and do they have to have a long history of a diagnosis in order to get disability? They go on to describe some of the different jobs that they've had and why that they've lost them if you need more information. Um, but they say that people think that I'm condescending or rude. I try to help them and they think I'm lording over and trying to be their boss. I'm about ready to throw in the towel. So they want to know about disability, how that works, if they can continue to work if they're on disability, uh, or how to find some place that's willing to, to work with them. And they want to know if they can be on disability and have a business on their side because they also want to sell crafts. They do cricket stuff with their, their cricket and they paint. Uh, they're a maker. So I absolutely love that. I love our artists that are on the spectrum and I appreciate how that's a hard job no matter what. And then you throw COVID in your job. And when, when you're someone who is perhaps having difficulty communicating with people and being, they say, most of my problems have come from me being misunderstood. Yeah, it is. It's a lot. And it really just kind of like uh, going through the list of all the uh, diagnoses and so on that, that this person is struggling with. I feel really bad because there's just so much going on that, you know, it's, it's very, very hard for you. And it sounds like you are just doing your absolute best to keep going. So, which is very admirable, but I feel like it might be a good idea to, if you can, to kind of slow down and work on some issues and then when you kind of go out there and re-enter the workforce in that sense, things might be a little bit easier. So let's just start with the whole disability thing. Um, you need to get the doctor who just diagnosed you uh, to help fill out paperwork for you for disability. It's You can get, uh, I don't know that you necessarily need disability itself, or you could just get social security payments, which you can, and it doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you're working at that time. But I do think, I don't know, uh, Shannon, does Bonnie ever get into this subject or not really? No, but I actually have a friend that I've been talking about having come on from the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation. 
And I think that's the, that that's be, the category right. that might be super helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, I mean, I've filled out paperwork for individuals who apply for SSI and that they get it, and then they're still doing other activities and, and have an, a different income as well. But what I really suggest for you is once you have that coming in and once you've taken care of that, I really think you should try to get some help or, uh, you know, this is what behavior analysts kind of help work on, but you could probably also work with a, an experienced psychologist or LCSW and they will help you with these job skills. Um, and they will help you. It's not just job skills, really. It's kind of like, uh, I think it would help if you were able to uh, regulate, I guess, your interactions with people in a way that it didn't offend them, right? And I know that you don't intend your interactions or your comments to offend people, but a lot of times, uh, you know, people get offended for reasons that are different than ours, right? So it's important to be able to read other people a little bit or see things from their perspective a little bit. And it's very, very helpful if you can do that because then you'll temper the things that you're about to say or do uh, because you can kind of see things a little bit more from their side and then you, you know what might upset them. So uh, I think that type of, of work would be useful to you. If you want to read some books, uh, Tony Atwood talks a lot about these types of things. He's got a lot of really good books that talk about kind of how to temper your own behavior. Uh, if you want to give your information to Shannon, I can offline refer you to someone who is really, really good and does Zoom therapy and can help you with these types of uh, issues. Um, so we can definitely refer you to, to this person is, an, is a licensed clinical social worker, but has had also many years of experience uh, with autism. Wonderful. So my email, which I'm sure Traven will pop up there in just a second, you can write to me. It's so much easier now. Shannon at autism-live.com. Uh, super duper easy. And you can drop me a line and, um, and I will make sure to connect and, and get the information from Dr. Grampy I also do want to say, I don't know enough about vocal rehabilitation, but my friend keeps telling me this is this great untapped resource and that you're, you know, you got to tell your viewers about it because not only can you go to, um, vocal rehab and get, um, connections for internships and jobs, but they also have stipends that they give people while they're looking for jobs. Didn't know that. Um, and that's in some cases, um, if you want to go to college, they'll give you a stipend for while you go to college because you're learning those skills. So untapped resource uh, that I'm told by my friend that very few individuals on the autism spectrum come in and take advantage of those resources. So we got to get her in here and help tap into those resources. <clears throat> but we have sent a few people to vote. And what's great is they're in all 50 states. There's a vocal rehabilitation department. And we've sent, we've said to people, go check it out, see what you find. And I've heard wonderful things back from the people who've gone. So that's a, a really cool thing. Uh, as I was afraid, cause the, cause honey drip wrote in and said they're, they're doing really well with skills. And so somebody wrote in and said, I have a question. How uh, can parents benefit or learn through the skills program? Is there a subscription and how can we avail it? Please let me know. Uh, unfortunately, right now, they're not taking on any new clients. Uh, and that's the big bummer of the day. If you are already in the skills program, then you have support for it, but they are not taking on at this time, any new clients, uh, we will alert you, uh, should that change. And we hope that that will change at some point. Yeah. I'm going to put together a lobby of people to go sit in front of the building and, <laughs> and do a sit out and go, we need more people. Anyway. Um, Fatima says, hello, amazing Dr. Doreen and Shannon. Thank you for your beautiful hearts and great work uh, and what you're doing. We appreciate that. We're saying hello to Christina. Good morning to you as well. Uh, but Sadaya says, I have a child on the spectrum who uh, once was told, uh, once told she does the opposite uh, or does not want to learn the things that are supposed to be done. 
Mm-hmm. It sounds so. It sounds like she um, is. A lot of kids do this. It's kind of a way that they have learned to get attention is to, you know, really try to do the opposite of what they're told or basically anything that can upset the parent. <laughs> and they've learned that uh, because upsetting the parent is, you know, negative attention is also attention, right? And so these are the types of things that a good behavior analyst can really help you with. I don't know where you are, Sadia, but I would really recommend that you get help from a BCBA, Board Certified Behavior Analyst, because that is the person who can help you identify every situation like this when they do the opposite, for instance, that you want to, they, the BCBA will help you identify what the function is. Like, in other words, exactly what is the child trying to gain? And how you uh, deal with that, how you what, how you change your reaction and your behavior uh, so that this this, you know, it's negative attention seeking changes. So if it is, in fact, attention seeking, I mean, that's what behavior analysts are very good at doing. Uh, Shannon, as you know, is they will ask you a lot of questions and they will get uh, an idea of what the function is. And then they will give you some interventions that'll help. Uh, But this is not uncommon. It is a pretty common thing that our kids do. And it's intended to to get you upset. (laughs) One of the things that I've learned from you, I mean, you say all the time, you know, it needs to be fair. But 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 the other part of that for me is that you are, you're one of the best people I've ever met at taking perspective that you look at things from the point of view who of whoever is, and, and that is supposedly a deficit for people on the spectrum. I think it's a deficit for those of us not on the spectrum. I think it's uh, for a lot of people, honestly. Yeah. yeah. But, but having spent 10 years talking to you on a weekly basis, you are like the queen of this. You do <laughs> such good perspective taking, and I hear you do it at all levels all day long. And I, so I'm sitting at the, the feet of the master trying to learn this, but I always now try to think of it when I, whenever I hear a story of a kiddo on the spectrum and I think, okay, if I were them, like what, what's my day like? Yeah. What, what, what's my big entertainment? What's my joy? What's my jam? What makes me super happy? What annoys the crap out of me? Right. Because right. I think we can all relate to that. And I know with my kid that sometimes setting me off is the most enjoyment he gets in a day. Yeah. <laughs> because he's bored if, yep. like, if there's nothing happening. Watching mom, the top of her head come off, <laughs> at least it's good theater, right? Yeah. Um, it's entertainment yeah. of a type. It's vaudeville. Yeah, and it's. I think it's honestly, if you think about it, Shannon, I think it's more than, I agree with you. I think a lot of times our kids just do that because they're bored. But I think they also do that because there's an aspect of getting control back. So, you know, like as parents, we are constantly telling our kids what to do and what not to do. Right. And especially when our kids are on the spectrum, it's even more control. And so I think our kids, they tolerate it, obviously, and they go along with it because that's how they've been raised. And, And of course, your feedback as a parent has been has helped them socialize, helped them be safe, helped them survive, helped them get along, all that. So it's beneficial for them to listen to it. But there's, they're all independent human beings, right? And as independent human beings, we all kind of don't, we don't love being controlled. And so there's a, an aspect of our kids at some point or another kind of uh, fighting back, wanting to uh, upset you, wanting to take control back. Uh, just And that's part of it too. And, and you know how difficult it is when your child does something to tick you off, being able to not react. Mm-hmm. And that's the answer, honestly. The answer is being able, if you're able to not react, that is the key to it. And, and then of course, then your child realizes, okay, this behavior was not, it didn't work. I didn't get the attention that I had hoped. So I'm going to move on and do something else. 
And the super interesting thing about that, when, when, when we can get that, you know, the day you've got it, when your kid is doing something to get out of a rise out of you and you just, you know, keep doing whatever it is that you're doing, watering the plants, whatever, dusting the, um, and you're not, you, you know, you're not reacting to it. And then they figure it out and you figure it out. That becomes the basis of how you teach them to deal with bullying too. Because yeah. then when the bully is trying to get a rise out of them and you say to them, you know, you, you act like nothing happened or, you know, whatever, yeah. that's how they get control over the bully too. So it becomes this full circle thing. Uh, yeah, you know. absolutely. And it's also important, I think, for people to realize that the initial reaction, when you ignore a child, the initial reaction is to get worse. They, they will behave worse in order to try, they'll do everything to try to get your attention. And, you know, once they, it'll, so do expect that. That is called the extinction burst. It actually even has a name because it's so common. So it's kind of like, again, as Shannon said, from the child's perspective, hey, I used to be able to uh, tick people off but now it's not working anymore. So I'm going to be able to like, I, what can I do to get my mom to actually lose it or to actually react? So let me do some more bad behavior. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to split a hair here just because I, you know, I know when you're talking about this, you know exactly what you're talking about, but sometimes you're talking to people who don't. So uh, when you talk about ignoring, um, I just like to say to people, we ignore a behavior not the child. That's it's right. A very, That's right. very fine line. But I see what happens sometimes that people go, oh, I'm supposed to ignore him. And then they just ignore their child endlessly for two hours and go, I don't know why it's not working. That's, yeah. that's not the ticket. Yes. yes. No, that's very important. That's a really important point that you bring up, Shannon. And thanks for doing that because you want to actually attend to your child's positive behaviors and you have to increase that. So just while you're ignoring the challenging behavior, if they're tantruming, you just act like they're not, like it is not happening. I'm not going to react to that. But you go about and do, you know, you want to reward interaction, communication, anything else that they're doing, that they're able to do that's beneficial. So yeah, you want to make sure the child has a, you're differentiating between positive and negative behaviors. Yeah. And so the difference for me is if your child is like banging on the table and your, your expert has said to you, he's doing that for attention. So when he bangs on the table, you get really busy with something else. Now you're not ignoring the child. You're ignoring this. So as soon as this stops and your child goes, mom, you turn and immediately pay attention. That's yeah. the difference between ignoring a behavior and ignoring the child. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully people will get that. Cause I do know people, Dr. Grand Boucher, who just, that the child starts doing something and they dial the child down and don't pay attention to anything. And I'm like, ah, that ain't it. Yeah. Uh, Lori from the D has, uh, well, first of all, let's say hi to Leanne. Say Leanne says she misses, she says, Leanne, you don't have to miss us. We're right here. You can be right here with us. Um, and we don't want to miss you. So be here with us. Lori from the D says, hi, Shannon, just an update because Lori has written into us before. She said, my five-year-old nonverbal grandson has been excelling with ABA. We found an autism academy here in Florida that has ABA on site. He gets 35 wow. hours a week. He's working with PEX cards and pairing along with transitioning into the classroom to school. Uh, it's for anyone in Florida. Uh, it's Livingston's uh, Autism Academy, which we can't endorse because we don't know. Uh, he has a person assigned to him all day. They also come to the home for parent training. Thank you guys so much for the content here on YouTube and sharing uh, where and how we can get help. Lori, thank you for being an amazing that grandparent. That is awesome. I'm yeah. so happy to hear that. That's wonderful, Lori. Congratulations. It's a huge difference. Very good. Yay. Very good. Sarah wants to know thoughts on special needs boarding schools versus daily schools. Well, so I, I know there are some boarding schools and honestly, I don't ever really recommend them unless it's a very, very extreme situation. 
So there have been cases where I know a child or usually the boarding schools are for adolescents and uh, where the adolescent is, you know, extreme, has extremely challenging behaviors, aggressive, challenging behaviors, and the family is just not equipped to handle them. For instance, there have been scenarios where, you know, a child is very, very aggressive, uh, has a lot going on, and there's a newborn in the family or a much younger sibling, and it becomes dangerous, and both parents are not always available. And so in those types of scenarios, some of the boarding schools are honestly lifesavers in that sense. So I can't comment, you know, if it's not a serious situation, then I always prefer a day school because I think there's a lot to learn in the family and a lot to learn at home in, and as being part of the family, which you don't really get if you're in a boarding school. So it really just has to do with your own resources. And, and there's no like shame in that. Don't feel bad about it. I just it re realistically do what is best for your your child, which means if if the family doesn't have the resources or availability or time or there's just too much else to deal with, then do use the resources of a boarding school. But really, it just has to do with what what works for your family. Yeah, I, I just would say you got to be really careful. It seems like to me, and this is just an overview from a parent, not an expert, but what, you know, I talk to a lot of parents, and um, it seems like that there are some really good facilities that have like a medical program with a boarding school for those really extreme cases, and the really good ones have a waiting list that's like two years long. Yeah, and then and then yeah. there are other ones that um, you know I hear some very scary stories about that, oddly enough, don't have a waiting list. So I would use extreme caution. Make sure that you vet any place that you take your child. Talk to multiple people. Make sure that there are reputable people who are treating your child well. Is what I would say. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, Ansil wants to know what are your thoughts about brain integration therapy interactive metronome outcomes to improve focus and attention and thanks i'm like only the most small amount aware of any of these things i i i'm not sure what brain integration therapy is i don't know if you're referring to transcranial magnetic stimulation like tms type therapy or if this is something else do you know shannon I, there's a there's a new trend that there are these facilities that are popping up that call themselves brain integration therapy, and uh, it seems like they might be using a like and this is it's very hard to tell from their websites, but it seems like it might be a little bit of ABA, a little bit of CBT, a little bit of everything, a little bit of floor time, um, oh. but I don't think that there are any studies showing you know what and and they seem to be sort of um, like a franchise. Um, so I don't know, and I've not heard any like big success stories yet. Yeah. So, you know, and I would just suggest for everyone here, because uh, it has been, I guess, you know, for the past, uh, I'm just reading what uh, Ansel wrote again, which is it's about primitive reflex integration and brain balance. I don't know enough about this to comment, but I do want to say that, you know, having been in this field for over 40 years, I have seen a lot of, a lot, a lot of different interventions that have at one point or another come up uh, that did not have enough scientific backing. And they've all kind of, you know, been the hot thing for a while and then they've dissolved. So, I mean, we're talking all the way back in the uh, 70s, 80s, you know, the, the hot thing was to do blood transfusions back then and thinking it's going to affect your child in some way or another. And these were even at like, you know, well-known universities were doing these, but there wasn't any kind of 
backup for this, right? So, and then over time, obviously there were, there was, there's so many of these. There was the period of time where so many families honestly mortgaged their homes and so on and did hyperbaric oxygen, which is not in any way harmful, but it it was expensive and unfortunately uh, ended up not really having any kind of effect on, on autism. Um, and we did do a lot of studies thinking that it would be effective and that it would be something good. It ended up having no significant difference at all. So, you know, and then, of course, now there's TMS, which is the transcranial stim- uh, magnetic stimulation. And that is uh, um, something that is very effective for severe depression in adults, uh, but has no backing when it comes to the effect on a child or on autism or the symptoms of autism. Uh, a lot of people have started now doing stem cell treatments, even though, again, there is no scientific backing. And so I'm very he- hesitant when it comes to things that don't have enough peer-reviewed publications behind them, just because you know, we're parents, we want to try anything that might have an effect on our child. Um, and we'll put, we'll do whatever it takes, you know, and, uh, it, we hope and hope and these types of things are, it's just, you, you kind of have to wait and, uh, do the things where there is science backing it. Um, and not necessarily yet put a, time, a lot of time and effort into these other things. I hate to say it, but that's kind of the way to go. Yeah, you know, Bonnie Yates and I had a conversation offline a couple of weeks ago. She and I were just sort of uh, reminiscing, and um, she was saying how, you know, I think what a lot of us feel at this point in the game is she's like, I want to be doing more. I want to be doing more. And, and she said, I just don't feel like I've said enough, done enough. And I was like, geez, Bonnie, are you kidding me? Because one of the biggest turning points in my life was probably 17 years ago now that Bonnie sponsored an event and it was in Culver City. And it was a, the headline was that there was going to be a panel of people talking about autism recovery and everybody take a breath. I know that that's a, a word that some people go, ah, but let's talk about that in a second. But there was a panel, 10 parents sat on this panel and they all had kids that were on the spectrum who were significantly older than my kid. Most of them were teenagers at that point. And they went down the, the, the line and they said, tell us, you know, when your kid was diagnosed, what was said. And it was all dire. It was all moderate to severe. Your child's never going to work. Your child's never going to speak. Your child, all of it all of it was, and I, my child was, my husband was with me and my child was in an umbrella. That's how little he was. One of those little umbrella things. And it was standing room only in this packed room, packed ginormous ballroom, standing room only. We couldn't get a chair. We stood and cried. Yeah. So they went down the road and said, this is where my child was on the day that they were diagnosed. And then they went back down the row and they said, what is your child doing right now? My child's in college. My child is an honor student. My child is this, my child's all of them put wonderful outcomes that anybody would be thrilled about whether your child was ever diagnosed with autism or not. Then they went back down the row and they said, how'd you get there? What'd you do? And some people said, oh, we homeschooled. Some people said, oh, we did some biomedical. So it was a little mixed bag of, but every single parent on that panel said we did intensive ABA. We did 40 hours of ABA as long as we could afford to do it. Uh, which meant a couple, you know, in some cases, two years, in some cases, four years, and in one case, significantly longer. That's, that was the thing that they all had in common. And my husband and I went out the door afterwards and we went, okay, <laughs> you know, what are we doing here? And, and even for him, I had a lot more research at that point was already on the waiting list to get started with good ABA, but he really got it in that moment. He was like, well, the one thing they all had in common. So the one thing we got to make sure we do is the really good quality ABA. Yeah. And that takes a lot when you're figuring out which baskets you're going to put your eggs in, that takes a lot. And it, and we looked at the science that came with a good quality ABA and we said, okay, this, this is our, 
you know, this is our 100%, we're for sure doing this. But then we did some of the other stuff that they talked about as well. We did not homeschool. Yeah. That was not what was right for our child. We did a little biomedical. But that was so pivotal and life-changing for me. It wasn't just one kid. It was 10 kids. And in some cases, they had video. In one case, there was a video of the kid at college. And he was like, hi, I can't be there because I'm in college. And I was like, sign me up. Sign me up. And I just want to say, you're going to see other things. But for me as a parent, I wanted to go with something that, as Dr. Grand Pichet said, was back. Now, now insurance, it's so effective. Insurance pays for it. Yeah. So yeah. I, wouldn't, right. I wouldn't waste a lot of time on things that you're not sure. That's me. No, absolutely. And that is it's one of the, the negative effects of these treatments being out there is that they are time consuming and they take away your time from doing things that are effective, right? Your child's yeah. getting older and you're doing other stuff and then it becomes kind of late. So uh, ABA has been uh, approved by the FDA, by the Surgeon General. It is the intervention of choice for autism and because it is so effective it is covered by health insurance and it is the only thing that is covered by health insurance in fact and so i would really uh, urge you to get your aba going and that's really important now if your child is in any way um, physically ill i think that it's also just as important to take care of those things and when I talk about physical illness, I'm talking about everything from sleep. If your child's not sleeping, it's super important to deal with that. They have gastrointestinal issues. Uh, if they have allergies, all of these types of things are extremely important. And when you deal with those things, your child feels better and then their ABA becomes more effective. So uh, those are those are kind of my short summary words of advice is... I always say this from my, and you know, I'm a major provider of ABA, right? But having said that, I also truly believe that it is just as important to have a stable and healthy uh, physical body so that your your brain is is awake and uh, you know nourished and able to learn. Amen to that. Uh, well, I love this, how this conversation is going uh, in some ways, and, and I'm despondent in others. Andrea has written in and said, what do you know about studies for pre-K and public schools for kids with autism? I chose to remove my four-year-old because after a month of pre-K, he became extremely aggressive. I'm now trying to get him into an ABA center since he lost his ABA. ABA school versus public school thoughts. Sarah wrote back in and said, uh, in response to that, she says, Andrea, we lost our ABA also, and we are in a dead zone. Um, and uh, so Andrea, I love they're talking to each other. Andrea said, Sarah, our ABA was wonderful. Sadly, she chose to further her career in another field, and now I'm trying to figure out what's best for my child. It's a struggle. We are seeing this across the country, Dr. Grampiche. There is a terrible shortage of people working in the field of ABA right now after COVID. And there are many places where there was just burgeoning ABA happening and now it, it looks like it's gone. Uh, it's, it's, I, I, don't, I don't even have words. It's so frustrating for me because when you know that something works and you want to get it for your child and it's not available where you are, it's so frustrating. It's extremely frustrating. So I would, I, I guess I'd suggest a few things. One is, and let me go back to Andrea's original question. Yeah. So there aren't, uh, actually it's funny because I just remembered there is a study back in the 80s, but it would be pretty old now and wouldn't, you know, it's hard to study something like the effect of pre-K because in public schools, because the classes are so different. The schools are so different. You know, you might have one good teacher will make everything different, right? Will will change the outcome, no matter if it's a public school or whatever it is. It has to do with one good teacher. And unfortunately, I think what happens a lot in schools is that public and private, by the way, is that there's just so much 
loaded on to the teachers that even when you start out sometimes with a really good teacher, they become overwhelmed and frustrated and annoyed and they just don't they don't have the energy to do a, a good job anymore. So there's no real studies to talk about this, but what happens is that if you, if, if at any point you put your child in an environment and it, it's very clear to you that they become extremely aggressive, this goes back to kind of what I was always talk about is that, you know, aggression and all of these challenging behaviors are communication. Your child's trying to talk to you. They're trying to say something. And usually what they're trying to say is, I am frustrated because the situation around me is not fair. That's why I always say, make sure the environment is fair for your child. And, you know, it could be, it could have become unfair for a million different reasons. There could be a teacher who doesn't spend the time to understand what your child's child's trying to communicate. There could be other kids who are bullying. There could be material that is too difficult. There could be um, an environment that is too sensory overwhelming. I mean, there's so many different reasons that a situation could become frustrating for a child and that's and then their only way of trying to get out of that frustrating situation it because they can't communicate it because it's complicated so their only way is to become aggressive right leave me alone i'm totally frustrated and annoyed so you know so let's now put that aside for a moment and i don't know that like it's not a choice between public school and ABA. Those two things should not be put against each other because even if you're in public school, you should be able to access ABA in school and on top of that. So at home as well, because as Shannon said, ABA is covered by health insurance now. So what we do most of the time and across the states is obviously if the child needs uh, an academic environment, if they're able to handle an academic environment, they're in school, we put a shadow in school with the child. It's like a one-to-one aide who helps the child get through their, their class time. And then we also have ABA after school in the home or at an ABA clinic. So it's almost like ABA is kind of like available at all times, but you go to school and come home and, and ABA is still with you during that time. Now, so, it, and I don't understand, I mean, I assume the reason that, that the parents are writing in and saying, I lost ABA and it's hard to get it is because of the shortage you mentioned, Shannon. But at the same time, there are a lot of uh, companies that are starting up and providing ABA. Uh, one resource, you guys, that you might want to consider it, that parents usually don't know about is the behavior, uh, the BACB.org. It stands for Behavior Analysis Certification Board, right? BACB.org, I think. And if you go on there, and uh, you look up where do I like checking on BCBAs or where the list of BCBAs that exist in the country, all BCBAs, which stands for board certified behavior analysts, right? All of them, including myself are listed on this site and their contact information is also listed on the site. So there's an email, usually there's a phone number. And the beauty of the site is that, exactly, thank you, Traven, for putting that up. So it's BACB.com. And if you go on there, you'll see that you can, uh, you can filter by your state and you can find people who are in your region and reach out to them and say, I have a child of this age and these are his needs and would you be available to provide um, supervision? And honestly, that's pretty much what you need because the hiring, like in the old days, Shannon, before there were so many companies out there, we used to just provide a supervisor and the supervisor would then help the family uh, with finding or hiring therapists, right? So uh, the the BACB the BCBA is the key person that you want to try to find, and then that person could also be working at an agency where they provide technicians, 
or they can help you get in touch with additional resources like behavior technicians. And also, before I forget, your school also has an obligation to not only fund, but also to provide this service to you. So it doesn't matter, all public schools, they have to be able to give you that resource. So you can start by calling for an IEP and saying, I need behavior analysis resources. And they would have to find and hire a BCBA who will then supervise, guide, communicate with you and so on. So there are some resources out there. They don't make it very obvious how you can access them, but these are some ways you should try. And I also want to say, if you live in the United States, um, all 50 states have mandates that where you should be getting your um, ABA through your insurance or through right. the local, uh, the state Medicaid program. And what we're seeing with a lot of people is you, you had an ABA provider through your insurance and then your therapist, you know, your person quit or whatever, but don't take that on yourself. Call your insurance company. They have a right to give you access to your benefits. And if, yes. you're, if the people who were delivering your benefits packed up and left, then they have to help you find someone else. And if they, if they don't vendor with that person, if it's out of network and they can't find you somebody in their network, they will do a single case agreement with somebody who's out of network. They have a responsibility to do that and they'll do that until they have somebody in network. So be a squeaky wheel, make those phone calls, you know, get your ABA back. I think for both of you, you're mourning the loss of your ABA. Let's, let's put a little time in that bucket of getting it back. Um, it's hard. I don't want to, I don't want to pretend it's not hard, uh, but I think it'll be worthwhile for you. Now, Sadia has written in and said, thank you for your brief answer earlier. They want you to please say something about, they wrote Prexia, but I think Sadia, correct me if I'm wrong, you mean apraxia and how ABA can help with that or who or which specialty of doctor can rule out that it is motor planning and processing. My son is struggling. Yeah. That's a great question, Sadia. So apraxia is basically the uh, low muscle tone in the tongue and mouth. So uh, it, it, a lot of times when our kids have a hard time producing, producing speech, uh, they might get a diagnosis of apraxia. And believe it or not, bo both speech therapists and ABA folks, behavior technicians and behavior analysts, uh, can help with apraxia because it is about uh, motor planning, oral motor, but it's also just practice. It requires practice with various, uh, you know, facial and oral motor exercises. So uh, in our curriculum at, that we wrote up on skills, uh, there are a ton of different exercises that have to do with the movement of the tongue, right? Like sticking out your tongue, moving it to one cheek, to the other, trying to touch your nose, trying to move your mouth in different ways in imitation of ooh, ah, ah, those types of things in front of a mirror. You can use objects like a lollipop to get the child to bring their tongue out, to move it around, you know, and those types of things actually help pretty significantly because if you think about it, look at just when you say one sentence, right? Look at how many different ways, pay attention to how many different ways, not only your mouth moves, but also your tongue. Like every letter, your tongue is constantly moving from one side to another, touching the top of your mouth, you know, and those are, that's what's difficult for our kids because they're, the muscle tone is low. There are also, so usually I would get, I don't know how many ABA specialists are really good at these exercises, but speech paths are very good. They will give you a ton of exercises to do. You can actually look up. Uh, on and Google like exercises for apraxia and you can find some of those things and there are also websites that will give you that will help you order resources for this for instance there are little vibrating they look like 
they're called nook brushes. They're similar to a toothbrush, but a little bit different. And you can even use a, a you know, a, an electric toothbrush, but it's about stimulating the nerves inside and around the mouth regularly. And then hopefully you'll see a little bit of improvement in the muscle tone and uh, in, and and in the movement and motor planning. And then that helps the child put together sounds and then words and, and then effectively communicate. It also has to do with production of air. So it's not just these movements, but I would really suggest you maybe have a consult with a speech pathologist and they can get you going on some of these exercises. Yeah, I want to say that in the last 10 years, it, it, apraxia was being diagnosed much more because um, people were getting more specific with the diagnosis. And it, and it certainly felt like to me, Dr. Grant-Bichet, that a lot of ABA people, you know, there were some who were really good and some who were like, yeah, you know, we, we don't know much about that. And a lot of those people were moved to devices, which isn't necessarily a bad thing in the interim because we want to give everybody functional communication because it, it seems like with apraxia, it just takes so much more time and practice yes. as you were saying. But I just want to put it in everybody's bucket that I know two moms who said, oh yeah, no, this is not about giving up. Uh, we're going to use our speech devices, but we're going to continue with all of the, and you said speech path for people who don't know that that's a speech and language pathologist. Um, and you, most schools have one at the school uh, right. So, um, but I know at least two moms that just kept on it, kept on it. And one of them, her son is in college and the other one, they just took him. He was, he was considered nonverbal and he is no longer considered nonverbal, um, yeah. because he has enough language that he is considered a verbal person. Both of them with the diagnosis of apraxia, both of them with parents who said, we are not giving up on this. So I yes. just want to put that hope in And people. it's not uncommon. Uh, I just want our parents here to know that apraxia, I probably give or get see a diagnosis of apraxia with more than half of our kids, like 60, 70%. So it's, don't let it scare you. Uh, just, you know, it's it's just one other thing to add on to to the treatment. And it's not something uh, that doesn't change. It does. There we go. Uh, Renee and Elvira have written in and said that they're following Dr. Doreen on TikTok. Hey, thank and you. Said, have, have you noticed that on TikTok, there are so many people who are anti-ABA and they're glad that you've joined to clear things up. Have you noticed that already on Dr. Grampuche that they're watching? Yeah, Shannon, I'm pretty new uh, to TikTok and I don't go around on a lot of other people's things. I was just hoping that I would use it as a place to answer a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. But I have noticed that there is a lot of misinformation on, on ABA and other things. Like, you know, because TikTok, I think, is more young people. I'm not quite sure yet, but... There, there's a lot of really like yucky information on there. Some of it is about ABA. And then the thing that honestly bothers me the most is that there's a lot of people on there that I don't think actually have autism, but are kind of claiming to have autism or be autistic. And they're just, it's, I don't know, it's sort of a, not a very good playing field. <laughs> so yeah, I'm hoping that I will be able to just answer questions, keep very, be very objective, uh, and yeah, you know, help people understand the value of doing the right things, right? ABA, yeah. and sometimes it's all about the medical and and dietary and all these other things. Yeah, one of the other things I always quote you saying, besides it has to be fair, is you always say, if you do enough of the right things often enough, good things come to pass. Definitely. And and that's a, that's a thing that I've taken in my life to just go, well, you know, I can't change everything today. I can't be responsible for everybody. But if I keep doing enough of the right things often enough, good things come to pass. That's what got us through. We did five years of intensive, good quality ABA, um, you know, because we wanted to follow in the footsteps of those people on that panel that I was talking about. And now my kid is 
fully verbal um, and is in college for a, a writing program, a very renowned writing program. Yep. So, cause I did enough I did enough of the right things often enough. Doesn't mean that we were perfect on any day, but we did enough of the right things often enough that good things come to pass. I think that that's a really good way of looking at things. I want to end with something really evil and horrible that I'm going to put you on the spot. (laughs) The question came up the other day um, and, and it was a interesting because it was a conversation both with a parent and a professional And the question was, when people ask you to give you the elevator pitch, how do you define autism in under two minutes? Like to give the real, I know, I said it was evil and horrible and cruel of me. So I'm going to give you a second here to think about it. But uh, while I talk about this, but I think it's really important for all of us that as if no matter if you're here, you have a connection to autism. It might be that you yourself are on the spectrum. It might be that you love someone that's on the spectrum, or it might be that you work and love with people on the spectrum, or you could be all three. You are on the spectrum, you love people on the spectrum, and you work with people on the spectrum. But at some point, somebody, your Aunt Mildred, your cousin Beth, somebody is going to come up, or you're going to be in an elevator with somebody, and they're going to see with you got a pin on or a bag that you're holding, and they're going to go... Yeah, really, what is autism? And I say it's worth worth it to like get your statement down and, and practice it so that you can get in and get out in under two minutes. So Dr. Grampiche, do you, what how do you describe autism? What, here we what go. is autism in two minutes? Yeah. Here okay, Boom. here we go. So I think autism, we begin generally uh, with a genetic component Um, which is triggered by some environmental factor. Um, And then it results in a bunch of symptoms that we call autism. Now, I think looking at all the research, the genetic component has something to do with redox, which is kind of our ability to detoxify fast enough. And it's that process in a lot of kids for one reason or another is, is slow. Uh, And so when children are exposed to a bunch of things in the environment, whether they, there's so many toxins in our environment, that would be its own lecture, but those types of things will then uh, uh, alter brain development. And in a way that our children become sensory sensitive, and then that also contributes to what they learn or don't learn. And I think, you know, when you look at the symptoms of autism, they are mainly have to do with um, social delays, communication delays, and then the presence of sort of these repetitive behaviors that are more like obsessive compulsive behavior, right? Stereotypical behaviors. But I don't think that the symptoms kind of define it, Shannon, but I think what's more important about autism is kind of what's the underlying thing that is that is happening with each child and a lot of times those underlying causes are a little bit different and that is why we have a huge spectrum that is why it's important for every parent to identify exactly what their child needs it's it's not necessarily going to be the same as what any other child needs so that's my two minute spiel on it. I love it. I love it. I love hearing it. And Chris, I'm so sorry. We're out of time, but we've done a lot, a lot, a lot of videos about the potty training. If you will go to our website, autism-live.com, go to the top. There's like, you can search a bunch of different ways, but at the top, there's a little button next to the toy guide button that says uh, top, search by topic or topics. If you click on that, then click on ask Dr. Doreen. And then you, you get this menu, put in potty training in the search, and then you will see all the questions that she's answered about potty training. Find the one that fits the best for what you're asking. You can watch them all. If you click on it, it'll take you right to that answer that she answers that question. All right. And Chris, real quickly, right now, put her on a schedule. Just take her to the bathroom approximately every 30 minutes or so and see if you can gradually increase that schedule. There we go. I love it. Thank you for squeezing that in. Okay, we're uh, we're we're done for today. We want to thank Dr. Grampiche. We're going to be back tomorrow with Bonnie Yates, and Bonnie Yates is taking us back to the beginning of special mm. education, understanding exactly what your rights are uh, as an individual on the spectrum or a parent of someone on the spectrum with the school and how you go about getting them. So uh, you're going to want to check that out. Then on Friday, it's the Halloween show. 
Nancy Allspot Jackson and I, every year we try to pull out all the stops. And let me tell you, I'm going to have enough makeup on to sink a ship. Um, so I'm not going to tell you who I'm going to be, what I'm going to be, but if you watched on Monday's show, you got a hint. Um, so Nancy always tries to outdo me and I'm working hard to catch up with her this year. There is, there's a lot of makeup that has been purchased for this occasion and none of it is in regular, the, the tone of my skin. So there's your hint. Um, so you will want to tune in to see that on Friday. It'll be our special Halloween show. Until, but we'll be back tomorrow. Until then, thank you again, Dr. Grampy Shea. And for everyone at home, uh, we're, until then, we're giving you a hug and one for your kiddos too. Bye-bye for now.